0: What's the best strategy for E-Dog's restricted stock units with his employer? How are RSU's taxed? And how do Roth conversions fit into the mix? That's today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 442. Plus, should Jay in Raleigh liquidate his annuities or follow Stan the annuity man's advice and take the annual payments? Elisa wants to know how a mutual fund portfolio would work in retirement. And what's a good way for listener Joe to invest in bonds in a taxable account to bring his portfolio back into the to proper balance finally the fellas spitball on medicare savings versus roth conversions for david and an unrealized gain strategy on an utma education savings account for jay in california i'm producer andy last and here are the hosts of your money your wealth joe anderson cfp and big al clopine cpa
1: we got e-dog right tim big al e-dog e-dog all right Hey there, YMYW crew. I have a couple of questions for you about restricted stock units. I'm 39. My wife is 40. We have two kids, ages 9 and 12. We live in Boulder, Colorado. We have roughly a million dollars in retirement savings. $50,000 in a 401k, $750,000 in a Roth IRA, $180,000 in Roths. We have roughly, what, $270,000 in non-retirement savings, $100,000 in a 529 plan, eighty five dollars in an HSA. $85,000 split between taxable brokerage accounts and a savings account, as well as a fully paid house worth $900,000, total net worth about $2.1. I started a new job last year, where roughly half of my total compensation comes from RSU vesting. RSU is restricted restricted stock. stock units yeah. yeah all right colorado what's a big company up in
2: Bol- Colorado? boulder in in boulder well there's gosh i don't know of a big company but there's some government organizations i sort of forget what nasa maybe not nasa but so, something scientific
1: well government agencies don't mm-hmm. offer rsu's Okay. Can you get it can you get a restricted stock unit
2: for the USA? I guess we are restricted stock units. You know what? So uh, when I do a
0: Google search, the biggest companies to work for in Boulder are Qualcomm, IBM, Google, Target, University of Colorado at Boulder, Amazon,
2: Home Depot. Yes, I, I couldn't think of any Amazon. Yeah, any ones that are headquartered there. Yeah. But there okay, there you go. NASA Sandy. There you go. NASA. NASA. I, w- <laughs> I want to get some RCUs at yeah. NASA.
1: E Dog works for NASA. <laughs> he's, got, he's got some RCUs. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first for me. And I'm trying to figure out how to think about, think about it for a tax perspective in general strategy. Looking for some spitballing. All right. Okay. Okay. So, restricted stock units. Let's talk about that real quickly. So, a lot of large companies give their employees some
2: additional benefits right it, it's uh, it's like equity it pretty much is equity except you don't get it all at once so restricted stock unit simply means that you have access to stock but it's currently restricted meaning that it needs to there something needs to happen and usually it's time Vesting, right? vesting, right. So U- usually it's time. So usually it's over three years, four, four years, years, five years. If it were four years, let's just say, then twenty-five percent of your of your grant would be w- would be vesting each year. Yeah. It
1: depends on the company, like Amazon, for instance, like the first year vesting, I believe is 5%. And then it goes to 15, then 40, 40, something
2: like that. It it can be all over the place. Yep. So, and and I have seen Joe sometimes based upon merit and things that you do. So it can be, it can be different, but usually it's time vesting.
1: Yeah. Depending of course on, I think your role within the firm and how much money that you're getting and and so on and so forth. So, so he's, now receiving this benefit has never received a restricted stock unit in the in, in the past, and he's like, okay, well, here this is pretty cool. What do I do with it now? Sure. All right. So he's like, the initial grant was three hundred thousand dollars with a four year vest. The RSU vest once a year in October. Then I can sell on the vest date. No sale restrictions post vest date. I receive additional grants each year of around seventy five thousand dollars. So he's got three hundred thousand dollar vest over four years. So seventy five thousand dollars is what he's going to receive each and every October. Right. So what happens is that $75,000 of XYZ stock, I don't know, maybe he works for Google, Microsoft. Right. One of those. And it's not, not NASA. Not NASA. Got it. No. <laughs> so they're going to deposit $75,000 into an account. And I believe he says, I don't know, is it Fidelity or something? Vanguard? Maybe I should just read. So I'm generally bullish on my company stock is up over 110% since my initial RSU grant last year and I want to keep at least a portion of the company stock. However, the total RSU grants is our sizable portion of my overall net worth, current value of about $600,000. The unvested stocks are held in E-Trade where everything else I have is in Vanguard. All right. From an account simplicity standpoint, I plan on selling all the vested RSUs on the best date and move them, and move the li- um, liquidated money into Vanguard taxable brokerage account. I have to pay income tax on the best date anyway, right? Questions. How are the RSCs taxed? My understanding is the value of the stock at the best date is treated as taxable income. If the vested stocks are sold within one year of the best date, the change in value from the date of best would be treated as short-term capital gains. And if the stocks are sold greater than one year following the Vest date, the change in value from date of Vest would be treated as long-term capital gains. Correct so far? Yes, you are. Agreed. So, Edog, so the $75,000 that he's going to receive in October is going to be taxed at ordinary income rates. It sounds like he wants to sell right at the Vest date anyway. So usually what happens, too, is that the company's going to withhold a little bit of taxes for you. So you want to make sure that, hey, what is your other income? If it's $75,000, it's anywhere from 22 to probably 30 some odd percent is what they can withhold that will automatically go to the IRS. So you don't want to be surprised with a larger tax bill when it comes to some of these vesting. So, yes, the 75000 is going to go into your account and if you sell right away it's going to be cash and then you just take the cash and you transfer that into or take it out and, and deposit it into Vanguard
2: yeah and and to follow up on that so the way the way these work once they're granted there's no taxation but once they vest whatever they are worth on the vest date, Right. That's what you have to pay tax on. So it can be higher or lower than what you were expecting. Right? right. And and so what it's worth on the vesting date. So that basically is is like compensation. Right. It just gets added to your W-2, unless you don't if, if you do same day sale. Right. So then it's it's like it's like compensation. But here's your other choice, right? Is you can elect to not sell it, right? And just hold it. You still have to pay the tax on whatever it's worth, but now you got the stock. And once you have the stock, if you wait another year and it goes up, then you would get long-term capital gain on that part of the gain. But the first part is always ordinary income. Whether you decide to sell it that, that first day of vesting or hold it, you still have to pay the same tax.
1: All right. Still more to go here for e-dog. Okay. Since we have roughly $750,000 in a rollover IRA, we could roll some of that into a Roth and pay the conversion tax with the RSUs. If I'm bullish on the company, should I? Sell the vested shares immediately. Okay, yeah, I would. Move the money into a non-qualified Vanguard account. Roll a portion of my IRA to a Roth IRA. Buy back company shares in my Roth. Pay conversion taxes using the RSU dollars or the liquidated RSU dollars. If I'm not bullish on my company, I would likely sell all the RSUs and convert to VTI or VT in my non-qualified brokerage account. My main hesitancy on Roth conversion at this point is my marginal tax rate begins with the number three. And our current savings rate is high enough that we'll likely be in the 12% tax bracket during retirement. My plan following retirement prior to 59 and a half is standard Roth conversion ladder. Where I live off of non-qualified tax taxable brokerage account and slowly convert to the top of the 12% bracket. After building up five years of conversion dollars, live off Roth principal while continue to convert. So paying 32% on conversion now versus 12% on the conversion when I retire gives me heartburn. What am I missing when I'm thinking about RSU vesting? Thanks for your spitball analysis. I've written in before. But here's a little background for you, just to paint the picture. Okay, I like to paint the picture. Yes, I want to see what E Dog is really doing here. And you know? it looks like we have a picture. Even. Picture? Of, <laughs> yeah, we do have a picture of E Dog. <laughs> and he wants to write this out for me here. When I'm actually when I actually leave the house, mostly to go skiing in the winter or hiking, biking, camping in the summer. Big outdoors guy here. Yeah, uh, I drive a 2021 Honda Pilot, usually filled with filled to the brim with outdoor gear. And my golden doodle puppy, who I'm luckily doesn't puke on the way up to the Windy Canyons, headed to the mountains. Little windy roads. Yeah. Don't want a dog puking. No, no, don't want that. Lovely wife drives a 2011 Honda CRV beverage of choice. Is my own home-brewed rye IPA. Wow. This guy is from Colorado. (laughs) Most definitely. He's got the little Honda Pilot filled to the brim with just all his outdoor toys yeah. with it with his Rye beer that he makes. Yeah, a little pantagonia <laughs> What's that brand? Panagonia. <laughs> Panagonia. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah he's all these. Yeah, he's decked to the brim in that stuff. Oh, big. Time. And his Golden Doodle. Yeah, the Golden Doodle. I tend to listen to the show while I'm walking my dog through the vast open spaces behind my house in Boulder, looking westward toward the majestic flat-eyes.
2: Flatirons. Wow. I can, now I can picture that because mm-hmm. I've hiked. It's planet. in the picture. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, you're right. It's in the picture also, but that's, I see it. The dog's big. The flat irons are super small. So they're in pretty far distance from this one. All right. There's a, there's a lot to, there's a ton. Yeah. It's kind of a so I, I guess, I guess we already started with RSUs, what they are and how they're taxed. So we're probably good there.
1: Yep. If he's bullish on the company, does he take the RSUs? Does he convert and buy the, 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 the stock in the Roth? I mean, Sure. I mean you wanna you you want to have
2: investments in your Roth that will probably give you the highest expected return. Yeah, but I but I might disagree. If you're bullish on the company, why do you sell the stock at all? Just keep it. Wouldn't you rather have it in a Roth? Well, yeah, if you if you can buy it that way, I guess. Well,
1: why wouldn't you be able to buy it that way? Because I'm already taxed at ordinary income when I when it's on vesting. So I'm already paying the tax, right? So sure. I keep it and I'm gonna pay a long-term capital gain. I invest, I sell. Pay no tax. I mean no capital gains
2: tax, ordinary yeah. income. Then I just buy the shares in my Roth. All right. So you're saying okay. You're saying sell and then just go ahead and rebuy in the Roth. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You, I get yeah. You disagree with that? <laughs> well, I mean, I was just looking at it I wasn't going as deep as you. We got it. If I'm yeah. bullish on the company, I don't sell the stock, right? Which is what I was saying. But you you'd already taken another layer. Got it. Yeah, I'm selling yeah. the stock and rebuying it. Yeah. I mean, I was just looking at that. If I'm bullish on the company, I should sell the best of shares immediately. No, that's the opposite of what you do. Got it. But, yes. but what you're saying is it's okay to sell because you're going to rebuy them at a Roth. Right. Okay. So, so you're like five steps ahead of me yeah, today. Yeah, I'm <laughs> quick. I'm quick, Al. I'm quick. <laughs> I am quick i
1: am quick i do not trust his numbers, to be honest with you, because he's doing some, you know, he's got to be an engineer. He's got his spreadsheet out, right? <laughs> And you're thinking, all right, well, with my savings rate, I'm saving a ton of money and I'm going to live off of my non-qualified accounts. I'm going to do conversions to the top of the 12% tax bracket. Right. And then from there, I'm going to live off of the principle of my Roth and still do conversions. Right. You, you don't want to do that. Agreed. I mean, what's the point? <laughs> well, yeah. So you, you want to probably rethink some of the strategy here. He's smarter than most when it comes to this stuff. He's probably thought it through. He's he's well he wrote in before so we probably gave him that advice. <laughs> it's
2: possible, and also let's see he's he's young he's only thirty nine so he's got a lot of years to do this and and I think just a general comment if you can pay your taxes on Roth conversions in a twelve percent bracket versus a thirty two yeah I'm all over that it's just that it's hard to know when you're thirty nine exactly how this is going to roll out so that that's why we might suggest you do some conversions now just to make sure you get some in there we we're assuming Roth conversions will be available forever but we don't know that yeah if he's in a 30 percent tax bracket today yeah that's probably a little steep it's a little steep but but you could to the extent he's got his 401k you might you might do the Roth option there which is basically same same right so you you could do some conversion but yeah the the concept is correct which is you always want to try to do your conversions when you're in a lower bracket
1: all right
0: You'll find a picture of E-Dog's golden doodle and the majestic flat irons in the podcast show notes along with the sixth annual YMYW podcast survey. You can help us make your money, your wealth, your top personal finance podcast simply by answering 17 questions about the show. And by doing so, you'll be in the running to win a $100 Amazon e-gift card. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes, see that great dog picture, and access the survey and the secret password. U.S. residents only, no purchase necessary. Survey and giveaway close and winner chosen at 4 p.m. Pacific time on August 31st, 2023.
1: Hey there, Alan Joe. It's Jay, originally from Brooklyn, New York, and living in Raleigh, North Carolina for the last 17 years. I'm 64, single, less than 3 months from receiving Medicare. I don't drink as much as I used to for no special reason. But when I do, it's either Corona with a lime or a little great goose vodka on the rocks, also with a lime. Yeah, mix those two together. Maybe. Oh god. That
2: sounds like something you would need.
1: Yeah, that puts a little Corona in my <laughs> gray goose. I'm driving a little 2018 Jetta with 32,000 miles, which is my fifth least in or purchased Jetta since 1985. Did you ever own a Jetta? Big fan of the Jetta there. Yeah, J- yeah. Gay Jetta man. I actually did own a Jetta. Nice. I didn't, I've, I've never owned a Volkswagen. Oh, okay. Back to Jay here. As okay. a side note, in the mid-60s, that's when Al went to high school. 70s <laughs> 1973 my dad his partner had a kosher bar uh butcher shop in brooklyn named alex and joe's oh it's kind of like you and i bud it is i stumbled upon your podcast a couple of months ago and now i listen to three or four episodes two to three times a week oh
2: my gosh wow wow that's amazing yeah, while it's two i'm two days a- in
1: a row that are listening like just like constantly he's laying out on his pool at his condo He's probably got a little Speedo on. He's got the <laughs> earbuds in. And, he's got, his a and corona. <laughs> he's got a cooler. I can just picture Jay right now. And he's in to Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Brooklyn to New, New York. York. <laughs> he's, just,
2: he's laughing his ass. You off. know what? I can't imagine anything more fun. He's
1: just sitting at the condo pool. Just <laughs> right. got a little Corona on one hand.
2: But sometimes other people would show up. I wonder, does he have to turn the volume down? Put, it Put a little headphones? Yeah,
1: he's got headphones. As for myself, I'm semi-retired, working part-time at Target, collecting Social Security, and receiving a monthly pension. These three incomes satisfy my basic needs of roughly $3,500 a month. I really pride myself at the concept of living within the means, within your means. Yeah, you do. Good for you, Jay. All right, my net worth is a modest $500,000, not including the $180,000 equity I have in the condo, of which there's 12 years remaining, with $115,000 balance at a 2% interest rate. My $500,000 net worth is as follows. I have $220,000 in combined 401ks and IRAs. I have a $4,000 Roth and about $20,000 in a brokerage account. Now for the annuities. All right, I have a cash annuity with an account value or death benefit of hundred forty three thousand dollars which will give me twelve thousand four hundred annually once I turn on the payments I also have a Roth annuity with an account value of hundred twelve thousand dollars that will pay me ninety eight hundred dollars annually once I turn that on I own both annuities since I own both annuities since 2010 so there's no longer any surrender charges also, The lifetime payments of $12,498 will continue to grow daily at a guaranteed 6.9% annually until I start taking distributions. One nice perk or feature is I can take a one-time distribution from either annuity before taking annual payments, which will reduce the annual payments proportionately. But I really haven't had the need at this time for that. Okay. Some people complain about annuities, but for me, they serve their purpose. Yeah. He's just, he's yeah. loving it. Hey, man. Yeah. I don't care what people say. I'm just doing it. I'm just, I'm, hey. I'm going to sit by my pole, my speedo, whether you like it or not. I, man, they serve their purpose. I don't care. He <laughs> goes, I don't care about the fees the salesman made on me as long as I get what I signed up for. <laughs> All right. Sure. I, I don't disagree with that. I like that. Here's my dilemma my annuities have a fee of 1% based on the lifetime income basis, which amounts about $4,400 a year, as does the lifetime income basis, which is deducted from the account value death benefit. Okay. Also, when I start to take distributions, those amounts are also deducted from the account value. Therefore, There's a definite uh, probability the amount I'll be leaving to my beneficiaries can theoretically be reduced to zero after 11 or 12 years, depending on the market. Once I start taking payments, I was contemplating liquidating both annuities over a two-year period for the cash annuity in order to accommodate the $43,000 of ordinary income. All right. And invest in myself. But it won't be easy to get the same returns. I made a call last year to Stan the Annuity Man.
2: That's a great name. We should get something catchy I that. gotta get Stan the Annuity Man on here, man. What <laughs> we can, what what can we do with Joe and Al? We'll figure. Andy, it. get on it. We'll come. Okay, up I'm something. working on it. Oh, that is catchy. It is. You know, you I mean, that? even I want to meet him.
0: Well, I mean, you guys are the Roth brothers. You do have
2: that. Um, yeah, but that but doesn't rhyme. Stan the Annuity <laughs> rolls right yeah, up. Yeah, we top. gotta, we gotta do better than that.
1: And he said I should just take the annual payments because that's what I originally purchased the annuities for. My broker's advice is basically the same saying, don't let the fees bother you. Yeah. Because that's what, all he got paid. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, where's page six. There you go. Okay. All right. But my thoughts since taking the annuities 13 years ago, when the sky was falling have changed because I want to leave a nice legacy to my daughters. Now, 24 and 26, what do y'all say? <laughs> okay. Yeah. we Yeah. All right. Well, so he bought these annuities for income. So he bought them when the sky was falling. He's like, I don't want to lose any money. I want a guaranteed income. I want to have a nice, safe retirement. I want to hang out by my pool. I want to listen to podcasts and I want to have my Corona and I want to have my limes. And then like maybe a little pop of uh, Grey
2: goose every now and So again. Let me, um, not everyone knows what an annuity even is. Why don't you start there? All right. So
1: if you're buying an annuity, but annuity—that's <laughs> all, folks. <laughs> We're all done now. <laughs> it's those are, that,
2: those you, are poor. Isn't it? <laughs>
1: it's an insurance product, and so what you're doing is you're guaranteeing yourself an income stream, and that's what he purchased it for. Uh, He wanted to have a nice retirement. And so it's like, all right, well, I want to have a guaranteed income. So he put a lump sum of dollars in this overall product. And then the product is saying, hey, we're going to guarantee you 7% per year on your money until you turn the income on. Yeah. And then from there, we're going to give you a guaranteed income stream. Right. And then if the cash value of the annuity runs out, don't worry about it. We're still going to pay you whatever that that dollar figure. Yeah, is. We,
2: we promised it.
1: Right. So if you think about it like this, so he put let's just call it because I don't want to do the math. I'm going to make the math really simple. Sure. One hundred thousand dollars into the product. Yeah. And he did it, what, 13 years ago. Sure. So one hundred thousand dollars, let's say 10 years later at seven percent, the money doubles. So now he has two hundred thousand dollars. OK, got it. And so they're going to guarantee him a payment. Let's say that payment is going to be ten thousand dollars per year. Yeah, which
2: sounds good. Yeah, it's like wow, ten thousand dollars. That's a that's rich, right? And he's getting twelve thousand on one fifty. And he's getting so, so, so you got a better deal. So, so ten thousand dollars in the
1: two right. So it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna get a guaranteed income stream of ten thousand dollars for the rest of my life. But then he's like, well, the the 6% or the 7% rate of return is a really good return. But he's not getting anywhere near a 7% rate of return. Yeah. And that's what people don't know. So explain why that is. Because what they're doing is they're giving him his principal back. So 10,000 into 100 is 10 years. Right. So it's going to take me 10 years just to get my principal back. And then it's going to take me another 10 years to get the other $200,000 out. So it's going to take me 20 years to double my money.
2: Yeah. Right. Or more 30 because you get your money back first and then 20 more years. So so in other words, the rate of return that you're expecting to get would take 30 years. And if you die before that, you lose.
1: And so you really don't earn any interest on your money until the cash value is gone, until you get your principal fully back. Sure. If you die with cash value, then the beneficiaries get what, what, what the cash value is. But if I have longevity, I'm going to probably run out of the cash value, but I'm still going to get a guaranteed income. So you have to take a look at the total payments that you're going to receive and divide it into the principal payment or the principal that you put in over the many years that you had the product. It's going to probably end up to be two or 3%. I don't care about the fees either. The fees are regardless because you're going to get a guaranteed income. If you're happy with the guaranteed income for the rest of your life, even though you probably are going to deplete the overall cash value, as he said, in 10 years, because that's his principal back. So if you want to leave a legacy, then I would get onto the annuities. If you want a guaranteed income stream and making sure that you can live the life that you want to and not worry about investing the money and, and be satisfied with a 2 to 4% rate of return, then keep the money in the annuities and just annuitize the things.
2: Right. And I think, well, don't you kind of have to look at it where it's at right now, 143,000. So if you pull that out, you could, you would get nowhere near 12,000. So I think you have to look at it that way too. So I would actually just keep it in. But when you look at the overall rate of return that he could have gotten not doing the annuities, he would have had a lot more than 143,000. I think that's the that's the difference here. Well, he's got 143 in one and 112
1: in the other. So sure. 143, in, what is that? 143 and 112 is yeah, 255. 250. Yeah. Right. And so he's saying, all right, I'm going to get $20,000 on 255. Correct. So if he cashes those out, you're going to take 4% on 255 is going to be 10,000.
2: Yeah. So you, income wise, you do better, but there's no legacy if you die prematurely. Correct. Well, I mean, no, well, that's not true. You get the it, cash value,
1: it, whatever cash value is yeah.
2: left. Yeah, right.
1: Because when he starts taking that twenty thousand dollars out, it's going to deplete the twenty. You know, so he's going to be out a cash value and probably, like he says, 12 years. Right. So if he lives longer than that, the cash value is going to be zero. Right. And the beneficiaries will get nothing from those accounts. But he's got other monies.
2: He's got the condo. Right. Right. He probably has a boom box. He listens <laughs> to your, your money, your wealth on. I suspect. Right. So. Yeah. So I think I would, I would just keep it too. I think based upon what your goals were, I think that's right. I think that what I agree with but what you said, he's Joe. He's not getting 7% is the, the issue. I totally agree. But that's not the question. The question is, should I keep it or not? I would keep it. But for those that have not yet purchased an annuity, think about this very carefully, because a lot of the rate of return is you're getting your money back. I'll, I'll, I can't say it anymore clearly than that the rate of return is your own money right yeah you got to put return a principal in that overall return. correct so it's not you're not comparing apples and apples when you're looking at other alternatives if, if in terms of a percentage rate of return we got alisa
1: hey guys love the show long time listener here can you share how a mutual fund portfolio would work in retirement for example i have Five hundred. Is that five hundred thousand? Yeah,
2: five hundred thousand.
1: All right, five hundred thousand dollars and withdraw five thousand
2: in a year. Fifty, 50 <laughs> thousand. There's, there's no commas. I know it makes it hard. <laughs> like, let's uh, see. It's five with how many zeros? One. Yeah, one, two. <laughs> right. so, yeah. yeah, the commas do help us. I, I will say that right, five hundred
1: thousand dollars and withdraw fifty thousand in a year. Do I hope and pray that the value increases by fifty thousand dollars? Uh, the next year, so I can withdraw the same amount? What if the market's down? Do I wait until it's up and make my money to withdraw and keep the same strategy each year? Depending on the month, my account goes up and down. Your insights on this on this, typically on, works would be helpful. On how, how this,
0: this typically works.
1: How this typically works.
2: Okay, so Very good question. So you're taking 10% out, 50,000 out of 500,000. So you you hope and pray that it goes up 50,000 so you're in the same spot. So if you take a look at the long-term average of the overall stock market,
1: it's roughly 10%.
2: Yeah, 100%
1: stocks. 100% stocks. Right. But there's never been a year where it did 10%. (laughs) That's the problem, right? (laughs) Some years you might get 15, some years you might get negative five. Right, right. And so this is the problem because the, the strategies that a lot of people use to accumulate wealth, as they say, for retirement. I mean, the rules totally change when you hit retirement and now you have to start taking money out because there's all different sorts of risks that you have to be careful of.
2: Yeah, what what if the market goes down 10%? Are you supposed to put 50,000 back in that right. you don't have? Exactly. Yeah, this is, a, this is not the best way to think about this.
1: Because averages don't make any sense at all when you're taking dollars out, right? It's like you could average... But as soon as you start taking dollars out of the overall portfolio, and especially if you have a down year, this is what really blows people's retirement wide open.
2: It's why we talk about a distribution rate. And typically people like to say 4%. 4% Four percent is not ten percent, right? So four four percent of five hundred thousand would be twenty thousand, right? So that's a lot lower figure. But the reason why you want a lower figure is because it it takes away the market variability. Also, if you take out this that what your what the market pays you every single year, because of inflation, you're basically you you gave yourself a demotion, right? Every single year. In other words, you're, you, you may have the same dollars, but you can't pay for the same amount of electricity, food, clothes, on and on. So we want you to keep some in the account for growth to cover all these things. But you, you come up with a distribution rate that's less, hopefully, less than the rate that you earn so that you've got more cushion for these things.
1: Yeah, so instead of like hoping and praying for a 10% rate of return... Yeah, which is what you'd have to do. Exactly. (laughs) And the, the money will last she could get really, really lucky and have yeah. a huge bull market for the first 10 years in her strategy.
2: Yeah, and if the market goes up zero, she's got 10 years and she's out of money. She's done. Yeah. Right. Or, if the market's or, down 10%, she's down an eight. Yeah, right, right. It goes down 50%, <laughs> she's got five years. So you just have to, these are the things that you have to think about. And and so it's it's why you don't necessarily take out exactly what you earn every year because of all these contingencies, unless you're willing to put money back in when it goes down and most people aren't willing to do that. So
1: what she should be looking at or what she should be doing is having more of a long-term strategy or, or, or figuring out a, wh- how much money does she need to live off? Right. And if it's $50,000 a year, don't take 50,000 from your $500,000 portfolio, yeah. take something substantially less. And then you're going to have to find part-time work. You're going to have to reduce your living expenses. You're going to have to do some different things to maneuver, or you're going to run out of liquid assets, right?
2: right? There's a high probability that she would run out of liquid assets. That's the right way to say it, because these are only probabilities here. And what we, what we like to think about is, is what's, what's a 90, 95% probability of you not outliving your money, right? We, We, if it's 50, 50 or something less, that that's too risky to me.
1: Sorry for the bad news. Hope that helped. Don't know where this, where, where's Joe from?
0: He doesn't right. tell us.
2: Uh, so he's violation. <laughs> Reject. Next. <laughs> Next. <laughs> he does tell us he's 41. All right. Oh, and do you, do you remember those days Wh- when, when I was 41? Yeah. Way back when? No. Oh. <laughs> A couple of years ago.
1: I don't think so. Yeah. Hello, Joe and big Al. 41 years old. Max out my 401k and Roth IRA every year. All right. Congrats. I'm trying to stay a little more aggressive with my 80-20 split of stocks and bonds because I will have a pension when I retire. My problem is that I also invest a lot of money each year in a taxable brokerage account that skews my portfolio ratio up to 95% in stocks. What is a good way to invest in bonds in a taxable account to bring my portfolio back to the ratio I'm looking for? I drive a red 2017 Toyota Corolla and I love gin and tonics. With a little splash of Saint Germain, sweet. Well, here's what you do, Joe. You don't buy bonds in your brokerage account.
2: Yeah, Which, unless you buy like tax efficient or munis. Just,
1: just buy your bonds in your IRA. Totally agree. There you go. Done.
2: Yeah, buy stocks in your b- brokerage account. Yeah, that's it's much easier. I mean, if if you think of your all of your accounts as one account, right? Which you're, you're you're compartmentalizing this, right? So think of your IRA as part of your overall investable assets. Do your rebalancing in your IRA. You you want the bonds in there anyway because bonds produce ordinary income, which is the same as an IRA, and they don't grow as much as stocks, and you don't get favorable treatment in a retirement account where you do on the capital gain brokerage side. Yeah. Because
1: if I have a stock in my brokerage account and it's a hundred dollars and it grows to $200 and I sell it, I'm going to be stuck with a. I mean, I'm taxed at a lot lower rate. Yeah. It's a capital gains rate. Correct. If I have the stock in my Roth account, hundred dollars to 200, that's even better because it's going to come out tax-free. If I have it in my IRA, it's going to be taxed at ordinary income. So if you want bonds, you want your investments that have a, a seat, safe, your safer investments have a lower expected rate of return because they're safer right? That's your balance. So keep those more in your IRA accounts, right? You want your more aggressive type investments in your Roth in your brokerage account. So if he's got this 80-20 split, he's might be thinking, well, I want 80-20 in my Roth, 80-20 in my IRA, 80-20 in my brokerage account. But it sounds like he's 100% because it skews his portfolio to 95%. Well, buy your bonds in your
2: IRA. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. <laughs> And here's the next level. Here's how we think about it, which is start with your Roth IRA. Put your highest uh, growth type investments in there. The the highest expected return. No guarantees, but highest expected return.
1: Most volatile. The most things that go yeah things, uh, things all that all go up
2: o- over the long term, like small companies, like value companies, like merging market funds. Those kinds of things tend to do better over the long term, but they're more volatile. Then you put your safest safest stuff in the IRA and kind of fill that up. And then whatever's left, you put in your brokerage account. Now that's easier said than done, but that's that would be a perfect way to do this from a tax standpoint. You have the same portfolio, it's just different pieces are in different locations.
0: Learn more about why asset location matters. Download the free guide from the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and find out how owning assets with higher expected returns in your Roth accounts, lower returning assets in your 401ks and IRAs, and not holding income producing assets in your brokerage accounts, for example, can generate tax alpha, resulting in better returns on those investments. Just click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app. You'll see the guide right there before the episode transcript along with the Ask Joe and Al On Air banner. Click that, send in your money questions, or your request for a retirement spitball analysis.
1: Uh, Dear Big Al, Joe and Andy, I live in Logan, New Mexico. Logan. Never heard of it. Me neither. I've been to Albuquerque. Yeah. (laughs) Land of the the hot air balloons, isn't
2: it? Uh, Yes. I wasn't there during that time, but I've seen pictures. Yep. Drive a cranky 19 year old Hyundai accent. And it, it's not dying. So he's got to keep driving it, maybe. <laughs> it's cranky, though.
1: <laughs> I drink Bush beer and I aspire one day to move up to Coors Line. <laughs> That's great. Wow. Your kind of guy. Yeah. Yep. I'm single, 66 years old, live on $19,000 of Social Security. I'm a minimalist.
0: That's
1: all, folks. My, that marble mouth is back. How we all doing? Minimalist.
2: Thank is you, sir. You're trying to say All right.
1: And usually spend around twelve thousand dollars a year. I have no pets. My state gives me around thirty-five hundred dollars in savings and Medicare if I keep my income under nineteen thousand eight hundred. I've been making Roth conversions of thirty thousand dollars a year and a five hundred thousand dollars IRA, as recommended by Mister Big Al. <laughs> all
2: right. All right. So you um. I've changed the course of uh, David's life here. <laughs> Gave him some recommendations, huh? Well, I thought I, I thought we were spitballing. Yes. That's what he, he took we it as. We
1: don't give advice. We don't give recommendations on this show. Uh, my questions: should I take Medicare savings or continue with Roth conversions? I've always been in a low tax bracket, but my heirs will be paying 20% plus and will be taking contributions from an inherited IRA on their own retirement accounts. Half the money will go to a younger folks who will have, to distribute it in 10 years. Thanks. All right. So David, he's doing conversion. So sure. he's getting a, a subsidy of some sort from the good state of New Mexico, $3,500 $3,
2: yeah. a year, which is pretty good based upon 20,000 of income. Yep.
1: And so he's like, all right, do I give up this $3,500 to continue to do Roth conversions or do I don't do Roth conversions and take the 3,500? But here's his, here's the issue is that he's gonna lose that subsidy. Well, I suppose he's got eight years. Right? Right. So let's say five eleven.
2: Yeah. Required minimum distribution, twenty it's gonna be over twenty grand.
1: Yeah. It's it's gonna be probably close to forty grand.
2: Yeah. So forty thousand is gonna be over the limit. So sure, it, it is still though. Thirty five hundred dollars is a lot based upon the tax bracket David's in. So I he's in a zero percent tax bracket. I I would yeah I would not do any conversions right now. I'd I'd wait till I mean if nothing changes, I'd wait till your required minimum distributions kick in where you won't get the the subsidy anyway. And so then you'll probably be in a low enough bracket to do conversions. I don't think so. I do. Well, is,
1: I, can, is conversions get. I mean. He's gonna well, have the, well, forty thousand dollars of RMDs, plus his Social Security, right? And then if he does conversions, I mean, what bracket is he gonna go to?
2: True. Well, true. Because he's converting now in the twelve. Yeah, the twelve is gonna go to the fifteen. But the twelve, it doesn't feel like the twelve. You add thirty five hundred dollars to to right. Well, that,
1: it's gonna be. It, it's 30, gonna cost 000, him
2: twenty percent. It's gonna cost him over twenty. Yeah, because of them, the social security is going to, be if you think of the subsidy being lost. And I think that's, that's too important for David in a situation. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't do the conversions now. But David drinks Bush beer. He doesn't spend any money. (laughs) Yeah, but he
1: wants (laughs) to. He's a minimalist. Yeah. The guy's perfectly fine (laughs) living off of $19,000 a year. And he loves his kids.
2: I say. And his heirs and he wants them not to pay taxes. Yeah. I say, David, it's the money you made. You enjoy it. It's it's going to be a great inheritance for the kids. If you can get some converted, great. If not, I wouldn't worry about it. That's my suggestion. That, no, it's not even a suggestion. That's my spitball. Okay. There you go. I
1: don't know.
2: <laughs> I'm on the fence, but yeah, you can, you don't have to agree with me. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted him to do the conversion. You, you just always love conversions.
1: Well, no, I'm just, I'm (laughs) looking at this. He's already doing the conversions. Yeah. I think he should stop. He's got $500,000 of
2: IRA money. So I wonder if he's got anything else. I stopped the conversion. So I get the 3,500. That's what I would do. All right.
1: All right. Well, that's fine. I got Jay. He emails in big Al. He's like, hi, Joe, big Al and Andy. It's Jay here from California. Thank you so much for an informative show. I've been a loyal listener for several years and look forward to each week's episode. The show is just incredible. Well, thank you, Jay. No, yeah. I appreciate your spitball and a potential opportunity for my college age daughter. She had the good fortune of experiencing the power of compounding returns on an upma account set up by her grandparents. When she was born, they gifted her $30,000 before age three, which by 21 has now grown to almost $200,000. Uh, reinvested dividends over the year has led to a $70,000 tax basis. Her college tuition and living expenses are fully covered by a 529 plan. We'd like to explore recognizing some or all of the unrealized gains you know, 0% capital gains tax rate in a narrow window between graduation and a few years and when she is fully gainfully employed. Uh, we hope to escape the kitty tax. If I understand the rules correctly, she can enjoy the 0% capital gains rate as long as her earned income, the year she stops being a student, plus the realized capital gains are below $58,000. We'd sell enough to hit that limit each year. few questions. Uh, what do you think of this idea? Number two, if she goes $1 over that taxable income limit, does that mean the entire capital gain that year's taxed at 15% or just the part that goes over? Number three, do we see any way we could start this plan sooner than the year she re- she graduates? I drive a six-year-old station wagon. Okay, he's got the old station wagon, and my drink of choice on the weekends is a glass of California wine. California, California, I like that. Yeah, Sauvignon Blanc in the summer, Pinot in the winter. Many thanks, best Jake. Damn. Good question.
2: Yeah, so kitty tax, explain the kitty tax, Al. Well, so first of all, if you have a child and they're 18 or younger, then it applies. Meaning that if the kids make unearned income, which is interest, dividends, something other than a salary, capital gains, there, there's a few, like a couple thousand dollars that they get taxed at their rate, but most of it's taxed at the parent's rate, if, if it's obviously above those figures. And this came into play because parents would maybe gift assets to kids. Yeah. And then the
1: kids would sell it because they didn't have any income because they weren't employed. They weren't working. And it was like, oh, I can take advantage of these lower rates. And it's like, okay, well, wait a minute. There's gotta be some rules in play. So let's put in the kitty tax. So if there's unearned income that is such as the UTMA account, right? There's a capital gains here. That's right. Is that, well, there's other rules that apply and he's trying to avoid this kiddie tax, but he wants to take advantage of the 0% capital gains rate.
2: Yeah, which is great. Now, I was just gonna say one more thing. So the kiddie tax then also applies when the kid is over 18, if they're a full-time student, which can be all the way up to age 24 per the IRS rules. And so Jay's daughter, as long as she's a full-time student, the kitty tax applies, which I think he already alluded to. After she's not a student, then she's on her own, right? And then yes, you can you can, you can can sell a, a pretty good chunk and stay in the 12% bracket. And so the way that that works, the top of the 12% bracket is probably 45,000, but the exemption is about 12, 13. I guess that's how he gets to 58, right? So 58,000 of sales would be at 0%. But one one area of clarification, Jay, is it's, probably not going to work the year she graduates because if she was a student, full-time student, five months out of the year, that counts as the whole year. So you probably, unless it was just a short period of time, you're probably going to have to have her wait till the following year. So let's just say she graduates at 22. So then you could do it 23, 24, 25, whatever, right? You can do anything you want after that. But if she gets a job, well, then her income is going to be higher and there'll be less opportunity right because what the, the
1: the capital gains tax is a tax on capital assets and it's a 0% rate as long as that individual is in the 12% tax bracket or lower right and so if she gets a job and she makes an, an income that pushes her above the 12% tax bracket well they're going to pay capital gains tax on the on the appreciation of the utma yeah but i mean you're paying tax on a a, a gift of thirty thousand.
2: Yeah, I mean it's appreciated nicely for it, you. It so. has, and furthermore, the tax rate it would be fifteen percent plus whatever state. In this case, California, which would probably, in her bracket, would probably be four percent, maybe. I mean, maybe twenty percent total, so, something like that in terms of a in terms of a tax. So it's it's it, yeah, it's not that much. And that, one more thing too is the fifty eight thousand. I agree because that's the top of the twelve percent bracket plus the standard deduction. Let's just say she made. okay? And you sold $20,000 of stock. Well, clearly now at 70,000 is over 58. So the first 8,000 is taxed at zero. The last twelve thousand is taxed at fifteen percent, so you still do get some benefit filling up that twelve percent bracket.
1: Yeah, so he was worried if he went a dollar over that fifty-eight thousand, it's like, oh man, it's, it, it, does everything then get taxed? And that's that's and the answer is no. It's just whatever is above that amount. All right, thanks for the question, Jay. Uh, appreciate it. All right, that's it. it. We got to take it break. Right. All right, we're out of here. Uh, right, we'll best. see you next week. Joe's got your money. One. Well.
0: That's incredible. Station wagons. Joe's midlife crisis, and he's back on the Celsius. It's it's all in the derails at the end of the episode, so stick around. Help new listeners find YMYW by sharing the show with your friends and your colleagues, and by leaving your honest reviews and ratings for Your Money, Your Wealth in Apple Podcasts and any other podcast app that accepts them, like Amazon, Audible, CastBox, GoodPods, Pandora, Player FM, Pocket Casts, Podcast Addict, Pod Chaser, Podknife, and Spotify. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call us at 888-994-6257 and schedule a free financial assessment in person at one of our seven offices around the country or online at a date and time convenient for you no matter where you are. Chances are one of the experienced financial professionals on Joe and Big Al's team at Pure will be able to identify strategies that will help you create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.
1: You ever watch the show, uh, That's Incredible? I can't say I know that one. Anyone? No? Andy? That's Incredible?
0: Is that an old show? No. I've heard Frank. of it, but I
2: don't know it. Oh, Fran Tarkington. Yeah, Fran Tarkington was like a host in it. Okay. Well, now that you mention it, I mm-hmm. vaguely remember. And they would do like these little
1: heartwarming stories of people that would just do incredible things.
2: Yeah. You know what?
1: If we if we lived in the past, Al, we, we would have a shot to be on that show. You
2: think? I mean, that's that's a long shot Yeah, best.
1: yeah Yeah. I mean, God, I, want, I was just like a real little kid. Dad yeah, loved that show. <laughs>
2: And I was—I was probably in college. Yeah, I you were it. probably. I mean, who watches TV then? God. God.
1: Too busy drinking.
2: Big <laughs> out studying. Oh yeah, big time. Uh, station wagon. You still make station wagons? <laughs> yeah, but they call them—they call them crossovers. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what they are.
1: Yeah. Drinking? Children. Did you ever have a station wagon, Big Al?
2: Yeah. No, you kind of look I, like a station I, wagon Well, kind of guy. I, I grew up with one, and then yeah, Annie had a little Toyota, Toyota Corolla wagon when the kids were little. Yeah. I never had one myself. Okay. First, guaranteed you. Do. You're like Griswold. <laughs> I drove one though, <laughs> on the family vacation. How about does that qualify? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I also owned a Volkswagen Rabbit. That was my first car out of college. Isn't that convertible no it's, no isn't it, that the can't buy me love car
1: no probably never seen that movie this you should watch this you're movie. thinking of the book so i can bug are you no 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 it's a rabbit you've it's never rabbit. seen can't buy me love have you no but patrick dempsey since you're a hugh Grant fan you'd probably love this show it's it's, it's like a, it's okay. a rom-com here let me let me chat that down i'm gonna watch oh, I'll it you later, later. No. can't <laughs> buy me love yeah, and the, <laughs> the girl he's got a crush on, she had a little convertible okay. Volkswagen Rabbit, and then like every girl that ever seen that movie wanted to have yeah. a Volkswagen Rabbit well, convertible.
2: Well, I can tell you when I bought a Volkswagen Rabbit, which was in the 90s early 80s oh wow you were before your time Al (laughs) well I went I was way before (laughs) everyone else's time apparently so but there was no convertible at that point it was just a hard top yeah but so that was something that happened later apparently I went to high school in the 90s yeah. And so that was a big deal. Yeah. Convertible. convertible yeah. You know, rabbit. Convertible rabbit. Got it. Okay. Right, Andy?
1: You, you, you probably... You, I you don't
0: actually... I don't know the movie. I don't know what you're talking about. I That's just had to Google the car thing. to see what you're talking about. And uh, I'm going to take issue with you saying that you went to high school in the 90s. I
1: did.
0: You and I are about the same age. I graduated I was, in 91.
1: I went to... No, well, I was a lot later than that. <laughs> okay. 92. Ah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh. That's '90s, right? That's '90s. Yep. Okay. Wait. Right? It's not the '70s. No, you're right.
1: You're right.
2: You're right. you could have said '80s or '90s, and you would have been correct. '90s. <laughs> I got a two-year-old son. <laughs> that's a whole other topic. How old w- w- will you be when he's in <laughs> when high school? He's in high school. Oh my God! That's that's a whole other calculation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I need to have a. Corona and gray goose with lime
2: right now. I tell you what, let's start with the gray goose 1st <laughs> that They'll give you Corona.
1: I know, I'm on the other side of 45. Yes, you are. I'm pushing. You're pu- pushing I'm,
2: the other. I'm, I'm pushing some doors now. <laughs> you're getting to be almost like, in, in my generation. Middle-aged. Yeah. Getting middle-aged. Yeah. It's a gift, enjoy it. I would say, yeah. I'd, I'd say you're already there, brother. Really? <laughs> Okay, I think I'm going
1: to live until 110. Sometimes, I, I mean, the mortality kind of hits you when you start, you know, sniffing 50. You're like, Man. It does. You better get busy and start having fun. <laughs> what the hell happened to my life? That's me uh, next month. Like midlife
2: crisis, right? Now I know what a midlife crisis is. Yeah, Yeah. You have a I, two-year-old. <laughs> well, you're going to have your midlife crisis at age 70. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, so the <laughs> little guy crawls it on onto the crib and
1: yeah, I got all sorts of stress in my life right now. Now,
2: yeah, you can't think about midlife crisis. Yeah, he's, don't even have time. Looking, he's going to be a gymnast or
1: something. Is it? Um, yeah, yeah. They, they tend to do that at that age. Yeah, I got this Celsius going. It's just making my the, lips the, just the, <laughs> bananas. The tongue, is, tongue is loose. Okay. No, <laughs> I'm <laughs> uh, mm, right, not even going to try it again.